I think I feel a lot of shame and a lot of guilt because I carry as a both as like a people pleaser personality, but then also as someone who who wanted like we started this conversation who wanted to be an example uh, of Jesus. I feel like like I probably have let a lot of people down or that I could have done more that I should have tried harder that I should have maybe spoken out more you know there's a lot of like personal guilt that I think comes along with the uh, the Christian exodus in the you know from the music scene or our friends in in the music world I'm Joshua S. Porter and my book Death to Deconstruction is out now We are nearing the Q&A episode of the Death to Deconstruction podcast. If you have any question you'd like to ask, visit joshuasporter.com slash question. Before you skip ahead, let me ask once more if you'd be willing to do me a favor. There's a few ways you can really help me with the whole book release thing. The first is by buying a copy of Death to Deconstruction. If you haven't done so yet, you can get one on Amazon or wherever you prefer to buy books or audio books or digital books. Secondly, you can tell other people that the book exists or that they might like it. You can buy a copy for a friend. You can get some friends together and go through the small group study guide that I've written. It's at joshuasporter.com. Third, if you haven't done this yet, would you do me a favor and leave the book a good review on amazon.com? It seems like nothing, but believe it or not, this actually goes a long way in helping other people find the book in the first place. Keep up with the Death to Deconstruction podcast like you're doing now and leave it a good review on the Apple Podcast app. And then finally, I never thought I'd be saying this, but follow my social media accounts to keep up with what's going on with the book, future writing, speaking engagements, things like that. Obviously, following social media accounts doesn't really matter in the big scheme of things, but it helps people find the book and it helps me continue to write more books. Chad Johnson was a figurehead of the indie music world and the Christian industry and has seen his fair share of deconstruction before sexual addiction brought him to the precipice of his own deconversion. Today, his discipleship to Jesus looks different than he'd anticipated, but he's still here. I was thinking about how to begin this conversation, and I thought about Jacksonville, Florida, and I thought about an evening in Jacksonville, Florida, circa, geez, it would have been 2002 or three or some such thing, mm-hmm. when, you'll, you'll know, uh, there was a gentleman uh, that participated in or worked at or helped run a venue in Jacksonville, Florida, where my band was playing. And he knew a guy named Chad Johnson. And he... He huddled up our band after we got done with our set and we had played this venue many times and and he said, you know, I just heard, I just learned that Chad Johnson, who ran a record label at the time, um, a small indie label that uh, we were aware of because we were fans of of a couple of bands that were on this label. And he told us, well, that label is being swallowed up by the indie (laughs) giant Tooth and Nail Records. By and the beast. The beast. The beast of Babylon is swallowing up. <laughs> take hold. And Chad Johnson is going with them. And so now this dude who has a lot of like uh, credibility of kind of DI- in the DIY world um, of making much out of bands like Further Seems Forever and Hope's Fall was, was one that we were really into. 
um, was going to work for our dream record label. He said, now's your chance. He said, you've got to, <laughs> you got to get in touch with this guy. You got to, you know, if he, if he could just hear your band, he would love your band. And, you know, we were all starry eyed and said, oh, you really think so? Oh my God. <laughs> so excited were we. What, what time frame was that, that you went to actually work for from your DIY label to yeah, from the Dale? Yeah, from Take Hold Records to Tooth and Nail was I think two thousand one, like spring of two thousand one, and then I think I don't I don't I think unfortunately that Showbread failed miserably at the mission of reaching out to me directly because I remember my first maybe you didn't fail completely but I remember my first. Uh, like the first time I discovered Showbread was I'm 99% sure was through Stephen Christian of it Anne was, Berlin, yeah. and he and he was going through the the like the tooth and nail. Um, I almost called it junk mail. It definitely is not junk mail because <laughs> Showbread was the, in the pile. No, the, the way he tells pile, it, it was junk pile. mail for sure. <laughs> yeah, a lot of it. A lot of it was junk mail actually. But but there there was obviously a diamond in the rough and. Um, so I remember him telling me like, Hey, you like, he brought it to me and was like, Hey, uh, I think that this band has a lot of potential. I think you should check it out. And I was like, Oh, and he was all excited. Cause he's like, you know, man, I'm just up here for uh for, I think, I don't know, for a couple of weeks or so. I don't know if they were recording or I'm not sure why he was actually going through. I'd have to ask him. I can't, I can't recall now, but, um, yeah, yeah they it's were crazy to, crazy to think how long that was 20 years ago i know what in the world so the yeah. the thing that i wanted to ask you was during that time there was kind of an unspoken assumption uh around which hung a heavy fog and what i mean by that is that we were playing at that time on that evening it was at a quote unquote christian venue buildings and concert venues don't do not have spirituality in and of themselves so it could <laughs> yeah, the yeah. building could not have been a christian but it was a venue that hosted bands that were at least ostensibly christian to some degree and what that actually mm -hmm. meant was anyone's guess um so when we you travel in those circles and you're aware of these bands that a lot of people take for granted have you know some kind of christian ness attached to them we're assuming okay so this guy he runs this label that has bands that to us were at least again ostensibly christian and now he's going to work for tooth and nail which you know even at that time it was a, a little hazy but for all intents and purposes was a credible indie but also christian label they had that you know your record came out in the christian bookstore so that was a pretty clear indicator even if the bands themselves turned out to be anything but so we're assuming, okay, so this guy, you know, uh, if I had met you that night and had a conversation with you, I might have just um, been presumptuous and said something like, so, you know, what do you think about uh, Jesus? Or, you know, you know I, I might have assumed that you have some kind of foot in mm -hmm. the door of this whole thing. Where were you at? Because um, I know you have this long story of like, you know, missionary background, family, and uh, obviously like anybody who follows Jesus, there are the inevitable ups and downs and ebbs and flows. But when you're participating in that world of finding bands and signing bands and being into, you know, indie and punk and hardcore and all that stuff, and where were you at in the spectrum of following Jesus, your discipleship to Jesus? No, it's great. It's a great question because um, I think that oftentimes there's been 
a word that I picked up from Matt Carter uh, with Emery when when I heard him on the I think it was either the labeled or maybe Bad Christian podcast. He used the word duality, and I'd never really I'd never really either heard that word or it never really had resonated or connected with me. And then and I've since feel like I've stolen it and kind of repurposed it a little bit. But but um but but basically living it in this like in between of wanting God to use my life, wanting to glorify God, wanting to be an example of Christ's graciousness to others while wrestling with my own personal struggles, challenges, uh, distractedness, um, addiction, narcissism self-centeredness you know like all all the things that every human deals with on maybe one level or another and not everyone at the same level thankfully but um i think it just maybe be that like spirit versus flesh thing where i was i i was wanting to glorify god and then and then but then there came a point where right probably right when i transitioned into tooth and nail was when i was would have been one of my deconstructing time. It wasn't even deep back then. I don't think people call it deconstructing, but it wasn't really my deconstructing. It was just my like rather pursue the ways of the world, you know, and uh, rather just kind of like enjoy the fleeting desires of the, of the flesh, you know, rather than actually seek out God and um, pursue him. Would you have described yourself as a Christian during that time? Yeah, I would have because I wouldn't have wanted to have rocked the boat that far. You know, I would, I, I would have, it would have been more because that would have been the socially acceptable response than the true like heart condition of my soul during that season. Um, yeah, but I still would have. I still would have said for sure. Would have said, "Oh yeah, man, I'm a Christian." Yeah, you did not want to commit to falling away. <laughs> exactly. I was like, no, I don't want to. I don't want to. I def. That's like pretty crazy, you know. Like the even now, the idea of complete and total deconstruction, or or like the kind of deconstruction that leads someone to um to completely reject Jesus um, as Savior and King is is still like that's a there's a lot of there's a lot of crazy stuff I've done in my life, um, but for some reason that's all, there's always been kind of like maybe a limit to almost like I don't know if you've ever driven a vehicle where they they apply one of those uh, I don't know if it's even called a limiter, but basically it prevents you from going in excess of a certain speed. It has felt like God's by by grace and kindness kept me from from a, a level of like you can't like just don't go beyond this point and and i don't know maybe it's like a re- there has been a fear fear of the lord or a reverence that's always been uh been there since i became a christian that that's just like yeah i just don't like uh, it's it's a, it's tempting it's alluring sometimes like the idea is is alluring like like i saw a friend in and um uh connection all this i saw a friend on facebook post not too long ago that the most exhilarating experience that he has ever had has been to 
to like disavow his faith in Jesus or something like that. He, he, I can't remember exactly how he worded it, but basically the most liberating thing was breaking up with Jesus is what he was saying. And, um, and I just thought, you know, that, that might also be if us Christians are correct, the most temporary thing you could have ever, uh, chosen, you know, and I think that that, that, that so much of our, our faith walks is, is about the temporal versus the eternal. And, and for those of us holding a line of faith, that's where, like, that's where this gets tricky, you know, like that's where this gets, gets messy quick. It's like, yeah, the idea of breaking up with Jesus and just going and doing whatever my flesh would want, it has at times sounded and felt very fresh you know or like ooh, yeah that would be great oh i can just like and but then it's then i'm i I, then i'm instantly brought back to the point of like but but then i'm taking that uh that kind of like gamble on the fact that i'm that all the voices i've found to to kind of um um celebrate and uh support my thesis are 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 the correct ones you know and uh, and and all the like you know dying to self and taking up the cross daily that that stuff's just you know whatever yeah um i i just haven't been able to ever to ever go there it just i feel like that's there's a there's a risk versus reward that i just can't ever weigh in favor of a breakup right um, yeah well it sounds you know, that, almost like you're you're describing a a dimension of honesty that is often alienating to people who follow jesus and to people who want to deconstruct their faith in jesus i do not doubt that your friend was being honest when they said mm-hmm. that the, there was an exhilarating aspect to turning their back on um their faith in jesus um, and I don't, you know, I don't doubt that <clears throat> that's, you know, true for a number of people who deconstruct and fall away, even though, you know, I'm told that the process is also um, painful and messy or can be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, it's often I think that the the rut that we often get into, those of us who want to hold the line of faithfulness, you know, I, or, you know, I made the whole subtitle of my book reclaiming faithfulness as an act of rebellion Mm -hmm. so it's something that i believe in deeply um but there's only so much that we're willing to give in terms of honesty and vulnerability about doubt and struggling with faith you know we we say we often say things and this has changed a lot in the last um i think for the better in the last 10 or 20 years and kind of at least Western mainstream Protestant Christianity and that we're, we're a little more honest and vulnerable, but yeah, doubt, doubt is fine. Doubt is mm-hmm. kind of quintessential to the Christian experience. It's not, God is not threatened by your doubts. He's very secure and you can follow Jesus with all your doubts and wrestling and questions. In fact, he welcomes all those things, but there's um, a line that we're afraid to cross in that vulnerability. It's almost like, if I were to say in honesty and vulnerability, you know, like I've been married for almost 15 years now, and um, at some point, both I and my wife probably wondered to ourselves, what would it be like to sleep with a different person? Uh, um, mm-hmm. And that does not mean that um, 
oh, then I'm also really considering every single detail, practical detail of how to arrange and carry out an affair. It's something that comes to mm-hmm. mind. And, uh, and if we're honest and vulnerable with one another, the, those are part and parcel of the human experience. I think that, you know, when you follow Jesus, it's not just that you have doubts. You also think to yourself, what would it be like to bail or what would it be like to carry out life on my terms, not on God's terms? Or if I did not have to deny myself, that, that seems kind of nice. I, I'd like to not deny myself from time to time. Um, but we present it as if it's like, oh my God, you can't do that. You don't, don't, don't do that. It's so scary and so dangerous. Um, you know, in the book, I use this uh, paradigm for transformation as opposed to deconstruction. You know, deconstruction is kind of a junk drawer term that um, describes people falling away from faith to, in some degree or another or tearing down the house of their, you know, the faith they were handed as a, as a young person or at the youth camp or whatever it might be. Um, but transformation is a process that is can often be um, painful and difficult and involves doubt and wrestling and questions and taking apart things um, that you believed were true at one point and learning that it, they need to be replaced by, by things that are more consistent with the scriptures or the way of Jesus or the truth. Um, but deconstruction is more like, you know, the, the breakup on Facebook, uh, I'm, I'm liberated now because I don't follow Jesus anymore. And if, if I do, it's some kind of new Jesus that I've designed or pieced together myself, you know, the kind of DIY personal pan spirituality that takes and borrows from different aspects of Jesus that I like and, and leaves the things that I don't like on the table. Um, which I think is interesting talking to you because when I did finally have my first conversation with Chad Johnson, um, <laughs> after it was, Steve, it was extremely boring. No, after, after Stephen Christian um, got you to listen to a demo, and after Stephen Christian dragged you to see us play at Cornerstone, and after Stephen Christian said, you know, like, give it a shot, uh, he was personally appointed by God to see us sign to a record label, I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> I remember talking to you. I honestly can't remember if it was on the phone or in person and you were just asking questions about the band. And um, one thing that you did say was that like, what does it mean for you to be, you know, a a quote unquote Christian band, which is a fair question because oftentimes these young bands had just kind of been raised in an environment and started a band in their youth group or church and then kind of thrust out into the world. And eventually we're just like, Oh, I guess we don't have to do this thing that we were kind of erected in our youth. We could be a real band, you know, quote unquote. And, um, and I remember telling you that, you know, like, uh, I, I sincerely wanted to follow Jesus well. And I, you know, I believed in artistic integrity, but also believed that, for me, this was a way to um, say true things about Jesus through a band, you know, the whole spiel. Basically, we wanted to tell people about Jesus and we wanted to make, uh, you know, punk rock music with integrity. And I remember you saying something about like that that was, I'm paraphrasing, but you said something to the effect of that was what appealed to you more um, than working with a, you know, a type of band who was kind of wearing the hat for industry purposes or, or something to that effect. You said, you know, I'd, I'd actually rather work with people who are at least trying to give the whole Jesus thing a shot. And I remember thinking like, oh, that's, that's really cool. So this guy is in a similar place to us in, in that he sincerely wants to love and follow Jesus. And so that became kind of part of our relationship when we worked together at Tooth and Nail. And in if I'm honest, is probably the thing that has kept us friends long after, mm-hmm. you know, working at Tooth and Nail. 
um, and long past, you know, bands and stuff like that. The reason that I can still call and text you is because we both love and follow Jesus. And but that has not been the norm in the world of our peers and the in the world mm-hmm. in which we both worked. In fact, Stephen Christian made a joke. He was worried that he sounded too mean, so he tried to take it back. But he made a joke to me <laughs> privately that um, I texted him and said. Uh, what are you? What are you up to? What are you doing? And um, he said, "Oh, I work at a church. I'm a pastor now." And I said, "Oh my gosh, I'm a pastor too." And I said, "We both stayed Christian. Look at that." And he said, "Yep, the only two people on Tooth and Nail." <laughs> nah, no, nah, there's there's more. And no. and the cool thing, the cool thing about what you know, the, what I loved about your your book title was like the the whole reclaiming part. You know, to me, that's. Uh, not only like a reclaiming for the for me as an individual but i wonder what god's doing behind the scenes in in the hearts and minds and souls of our friends who maybe you know maybe were very vocal about their departure maybe they were quiet about it but who the holy spirit is is secretly to the public world anyway revealing himself to them and uh wooing them and speaking to them and reminding them and so i think that it to me what's exciting is like play posturing myself or placing myself in and around people so in hopes that god can use my story and my um my presence as a reminder of who he is and how much he loves you know yeah and uh but along those lines, uh, that's what I wanted to ask you about. You, yes, of course, it's hyperbolic and cynical to say that, oh, we're the only two people left on tooth and nail. Uh-huh. Of course, that's not literally true. But, <laughs> but it, it feels that way. It, it feels does, that's, that way. Yeah, that's it. what I was getting yeah. at. It often feels that way. Uh-huh. Um, so what, was, what has that been like for you? Because as long as I've known you, and yes, both of us obviously have had the... Uh, the universal oscillation of journeying and discipleship to Jesus and um, good seasons, bad seasons. But both of us, as long mm-hmm. as I, I've known you and you've known me, um, have have been trying to follow Jesus faithfully. Um, what was it like for you to watch, you know, bands that you mentored or that people that you knew in the industry or just existing in a world where there's other people who follow. That's just part of your life, your social life and your, you know, your relationships Mm -hmm. and you're watching what often feels like, Oh, they're gone. They're gone. They're gone. Oh man. Uh, I don't know that anyone's ever asked me that question before. Um, so I don't have an easy premeditated answer, which is, which is the perfect podcast, uh, you know, question (laughs) to be asked. Um, I think I feel a lot of shame and a lot of guilt because I carry as a, both as like a people pleaser personality, but then also as someone who, who wanted, like we started this conversation, who wanted to be an example, uh, of Jesus. I feel like, like I probably have let a lot of people down or that I could have done more that I should have tried harder that I should have maybe spoken out more. You know, there, there's a lot of like personal guilt that I think comes along with the, uh, 
the Christian exodus in the, you know, from the music scene or our friends in, in the music world. Um, but then I have to remind myself that like, if, if all, if the only difference would have been me doing something a little more, being a little more present, being a little more engaged, being a little more loving, caring, act, you know, acting a certain way, um, then that sure puts a whole lot of responsibility and weight on me, you yes. know, and like beginning to feel like maybe the, the old narcissist is c- popping up again, just in a new form, you know, a spiritually, uh, covert form or something, um, a little, maybe a little less obvious than, uh, just the full blown raging narcissist. But I think that, uh, that it's, the, I, I often find myself in, in all, all of our friends' stories when I hear of them departing from Jesus and it, and I think to myself, like, like I'm not very different than, than them in that maybe I haven't gone quite as far as some of them have been willing to go, but I have, I've come close and I, and I guess it just kind of, I also feel like whether regardless of how far they are and how far I've gone, I'm reminded that, in my life, every time I've strayed, that God has faith, faithfully and merciful, mercifully brought me back to a place of commitment to him. You know, it's like he's brought me, he's held me by the hand, and he has walked with me back into a spiritual alignment that I didn't deserve or didn't necessarily even seek out. Yeah. And I, and and I think it just helps me to believe that God, if God's bigness was able to do that for me, then what's stopping that from happening in the lives of our friends. And it just kind of maybe, maybe just puts another little prayer reminder in in my head and my heart, you know, God, if you've done that for me, then, then, you know, thanks for the way that you're going to, you're probably already doing that in the lives of a, you know, A, B, C, D on and on and on, uh, all the way to Z. So, um, yeah, but, but it's heavy. I mean, it's uh, being, being a follower of Jesus today when you don't have all the kind of like, uh, structure, maybe, maybe even now looking back kind of like the, um, um, I'm trying to think of the right analogy to use, but for some reason it's, I'm thinking of matches and like, and like putting, you know, trying to like put matches all building a little structure out of matches, you know, that of course, uh, is flimsy and e- easily falls over and uh, all that. That's probably a bad analogy, but the point is, um, the stilts, you know, being maybe the biblical idea of, of building, trying to build a house on, on shifting sands. Yeah. Um, and, but looking back and thinking, well, all, all of the things that I used to feel were kind of like supporting my faith and made it so exciting and exuberant and cool are most of those things are not there anymore because most of those authors or people or, um, artists or resources are, are either no longer following Jesus in a, in a conventional way or at all. Um, it's just different, but, but I think at the same time, it's kind of now the, if you are, if you're still committed to the ways of Jesus, like the, it's 
It is not because it's cool, that's for sure. So, um, especially over like, you know, I look at our friendship as almost existing in two unique phases because <laughs> we work together, um, in the music industry and, um, and I, I, you know, I thought of us as friends then I, I didn't think of us like, uh, as, or I guess primarily as, Oh, this, this is the dude at the record label. But we got along and, you know, I, I liked you and I think that, you know, there were other it, working in that world, there were people who understood the label almost like as a soulless machine who existed to, you know, run algorithms for the band. And um, I think that not not because we were mature, that certainly wasn't the case. But by the grace of God, you know, we, we were more like, uh, oh, these are people and we like these people and, you know, and they have their quirks and eccentricities. And so there was that season where we worked together and um and then uh, after that, after you had gone to do something else and we had gone to do something else, we continued to do stuff together, but now it was this different thing. You know, you had taken to uh, traveling and um, going to different countries and telling people about Jesus and had like kind of had this Holy Spirit renaissance where you were learning the things of the Spirit in a new, exciting way. And then we're teaching us and then we were teaching other people as well. Um, and that made me think is, uh, about what that must have been like for you, because, uh, I want to know if you've carried that perspective into this recent season of what often feels like mass deconversion. Um, because one thing I think, uh, that escapes the notice of folks like us who live in the West, who live in America and who, you know, can see on a social media feed a, a number of their friends. Oh, this person doesn't follow Jesus anymore. Oh, this person just had a big brave walk away from Jesus on Instagram or whatever it might be that the, you know, the deconstruction movement is statistically anyway, primarily um, uh, happening amongst affluent white American millennials, um, mm -hmm. but that affluent white American millennials represent a teeny minority of the global church. You know, one researcher yeah. that I was reading just uh, last week pointed out that here's some figures I have in front of me. 67% of the world's Christians live in Asia, Africa, Latin America, and Oceania. The largest share of those live in Africa. The majority of them are women. And the median age of Christians in sub-Saharan Africa is 19. Um, which means that when we look out on the internet and our social circles and feels like, oh man, everyone is bailing on Jesus, it's just not true. The you know the the average Christian is not represented by like a cynical California post-Christian podcaster per dude. 
the average mm-hmm. Christian from a global perspective is like a teenage girl in Nigeria. And, you know, you've traveled all over the world and you've gone into places and seen the Holy Spirit show up and do like really incredible stuff. Does that perspective that you have inform the way that you see, you know, your, your tiny circle of the Christian movement when you're just at home in your house in America and seeing some guy on Facebook and thinking, oh, that's a bummer. But you know what? I've been to Colombia. I've been to New Zealand. I've seen the Holy Spirit show up and do stuff. This isn't it. This isn't the entire picture. Mm. Oh, yeah, it, it does, uh, without a doubt, help to, to give me kind of what you just gave all, all of our listeners, a expanded view, you know, like sometimes it does get so easy to just focus so narrowly on what seems to be happening everywhere because it's right. Like, look, it's, it's right. I mean, where do any of us spend the most amount of time, uh, other than maybe at work and it's probably our phones. And even then, you know, it might still be our phones over work, but, but, uh, I think that having traveled the world and having seen God, um, use my life in, in really supernatural and special ways, um, was, uh, was, and is one of the reasons why leaving the Christian faith seems like such a poor choice for me, um, based on what I've experienced and what I've witnessed, um, with my own eyes and not just what I've read in the Bible or in other, you know, books, um, or heard from other people's accounts. So I think to answer your first question, I am like, am I living a radical expression of risk-taking, active Holy Spirit listening in my day-to-day life now compared to where I was maybe um, five years ago or seven years ago when I was like really like in the thick of it. And I would say that I am desiring to live in that way now more than I have in many years because I did go through my own deconstruction and my own like near, near abandoning of Jesus um, that involved an emotional affair that, that involved full-blown sexual addiction uh, that, that involved specifically for me, fantasy and pornography um, that, that involved um, wanting a departure from, from anything that I had attach my name to in, in Christianity just because of how little I wanted to still be there, I think is, would be the best way to put it. And through all that, um, God once again, graciously and with full undeserved mercy, it has brought continued, he's continued to keep a spark alive that's caused me today to, to say, God, I want to, I would like to hear from and respond well to anything that your spirit wants to say to me for, or, uh, in connection to someone else and, and that might encourage someone else. Um, and so I would, I'd also, I guess I just, you know, would say that my, my life, my active Christian life has not been nearly as active as it once was, but God has done this kind of like under the hood, deep, um, 
work of excision from areas of my heart and life that had bound, had kept me bound for decades. So am I living as an active sex addict today? No. Am I, am I living as a participant of narcissism and self-centeredness today? Hopefully not. Well, for sure, not like I once did. And I think that the, that God's now given me an awareness of some of my, my character defects that I never recognized or realized were there. And, uh, and I think, I think that there's like a, that he has been setting me up by dealing with character flaws that I never knew required dealing with. Um, and so today's my, my 500, I think today's 505 days of sobriety from, from mm. sexual acting out. And, and, uh, and that's not to say that five minutes and five seconds from now that I couldn't, you know, choose a path that I would regret about five minutes and five seconds later, but, um, I'm living, I'm living a level of, of freedom from my past that I know without a doubt that Jesus brought into my life. And so now it's, my question has been like, God, thank you for the, for the newfound, relatively newfound freedom that I'm living. What does a life of risk and a life of obedience to the spirit look like in connection to, because even though I was living a, a very expressive outward spiritual journey, I was struggling with so many inner demons, um, along the way that, uh, that I hadn't, ever dealt with or had not ever really allowed God to deal with, even though I would pray prayers like, you know, please heal me. Um, I didn't, I, it's, it's one thing to pray. It's another thing to want freedom, you know? And, and I think anyway, that could take us a whole nother hour and a half of deconstructing that, that idea or like just the addiction side of, uh, uh, the addiction side of things. But, um, well, I do want to ask one, at least broad strokes question along those lines. What? Sure. Um, and I realize this is a very complicated and nuanced uh, question and answer, but generally speaking, what is the difference between, or what is the, what, what was the, the change that took you from, you know, there's this outward expressive life with, with inward and, and, and largely secret struggle Mm -hmm. versus a life that, um, is more calm and contemplative, but experiencing new freedom what's the what's the quote unquote breakthrough or the the cornerstone in between those two things uh i i guess i'm still discovering that um i think that that's exactly where i'm at is in i'm living the 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 catalyst maybe for me to to kind of like really begin to deal with some of my issues um was probably my, my own dad dying and, and not seeing my dad healed and not seeing my dad supernaturally healed anyway. Um, probably was the starting point, even though I didn't know it at the time. And then, uh, and then I think just maybe being around other people who also desired sobriety and healing from their, from their own woundedness and just kind of like being inspired by that, you know, like, wow, there's people that are really tackling in a, in a culture in an age where all things sexual are far more celebrated than, than, uh, 
then denounced or rejected. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was finding the people who were denouncing and rejecting their fleshly desires in, in like as radical of ways as I had ever experienced, you know, like crazy salvations or healings or deliverances. And yeah, where'd you uh, find people them? doing vi- what's that? Where'd you find those people? Uh, I found them through a group called SA, SA.org, sex, sexual, what is it called? Sexaholics Anonymous, um, but SA.org, it's connected to AA. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I found them, I mean, yeah, I, I found them through a therapist here in town. I just prayed on a trip, on a, on a speaking trip in Colorado a few years back. I remember kind of like a simultaneous, like spiritual high and fleshly low. So um, it kind of thing. I, I cried out to God and just like, man, God, I, I really, I don't know what to do, but I think I need help. I think I'm like full blown addicted to pornography and to fan fantasizing. Um, and all the things that come with, with pornography, which really is fantasy in and of it, you know, at, at the core, it's just fantasy. But, um, uh, it, that began that that conversation began the the like unraveling and i can remember as it ties to 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 what you know you and i are talking about i can remember my first conversation with the therapist and him asking me what you know what what would you like to get out of this time <laughs> <laughs> i mean dude if you charge 150 dollars an hour you know you probably probably ought to know what some someone's expectations are and i and i said three things and i said i want to i would like to understand why i feel so blank like my feelings are non-existent for my father's death i would uh like to understand why i seem to have a disconnect with god which up until that point i felt like i was me and jesus were super close super tight best friends you know like i committed my life to jesus and and i'd begun feeling the, the disconnect and then three why why do I feel like I have to constantly use pornography or acting out sexually as a way of kind of coping with life and, and life's challenges? No, no big deal, you know, no, just small, small areas yeah, easy. Uh, of Three pain easy in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I mean, that, that, I think maybe just that honesty with someone else was in and of itself a very healing start it, it wasn't the end but it was a starting point of just saying here's yeah i guess here's what i'd like to see happen and um and i gained a, a whole ton of clarity on all all, all of those areas but I, I would say primarily on the lust and maybe not all of them all of them uh, but a lot of work you know years of that was that conversation was probably four years ago yeah. Uh, maybe a little more. So it's been years of me just kind of like quietly surrendering, learning, making mistakes, getting back up again, um, being honest. Um, try, yeah, all, all of it. Um, and you're doing all of yeah. this in relationship with Jesus. You're talking to him throughout this process. And yeah, through most of it. I mean, there's a, there was a couple of times where I, I, uh, I did not want Jesus in the picture because I, I wanted I wanted my flesh to win. I wanted an affair. I wanted a um a uh self-serving fantasy of a relationship to become my reality so that the pain that I had not dealt with would be soothed in a savior 
who was a lot prettier looking than Jesus Yep, uh, on the cross, you know, bloodied and, and sacrificed for me. I wanted a sexy, a much sexier savior than what, who Jesus uh, had offered himself to me as. And, uh, and that sounds really, you know, it sounds pretty sacrilegious because it is, uh, it, and it was, but it was kind of through all that, that, that God met me. And, um, and finally that was like the, that was like the, the blow, you know, like, okay, now God, I've, I've tried to search for the, the, um, that forever water, uh, the, you know, that wellspring of life from all the sources other than you. And once again, I've come up dry. And so I'm just going to try to keep turning to you. And, um, I don't really know how to do that. Well, I don't really know how to do that. Um, some, some days at all, but I'm just going to choose to, to take even the tiniest little amount of faith that I have and just say, God, help me and uh, help me to help others and give me an opportunity today to love someone else, you know, the way that I, I, I have experienced love. Um, so yeah, man, it's been, it's been a wild, um, wild, completely unexpected journey back to God from what I would argue, and I'm sure what Beth, my wife of 26 years now would argue was the dark, the dark night of my soul. You know, like when you, when you see yourself in the mirror for just how dark you really can be. And it's not to say that we should just, I don't for, for even a second want to pause on darkness because of course, once Christ enters in, then what's darkness, you know, like what's darkness compared to light? It just doesn't even, it's not even worth a conversation, but, but for the sake of deconstruction and, and for being honest and transparent and when you're in the middle of darkness, it's like nothing seems light. <laughs> there is yeah. no bright, you know, it's like, because you're, you can't, you obviously can't experience, taste, touch, um, see, you know, take in just how bright the world and God's love really is until that, that breakthrough, you know, or whatever. I can't remember the exact word you use, but that, that kind of, um, breaking happens. So I wanted to ask you, you obviously, aside from all the interpersonal demons and struggles, you're combating your own despair and addiction and proclivities, all that kind of stuff that's the human experience, which manifests itself uniquely in each individual, obviously, but is universal mm-hmm. to humanity. Aside from that, I've known you to have existed in a Christian world to some degree as long as I've known you. So you've been a part of church and you've been a part of Christian record labels and a Christian industry and Christian bands and and you've moved from, you know, state to state and joined new communities, new churches, new people. In all that time, I know you have seen some lame stuff outside of yourself. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you're you're yeah, obviously yeah. wrestling with your own crap uh, as we all do. But now, inevitably, because you have deliberately situated yourself in Christian worlds and contexts and communities, you're experiencing everyone else's crap to a certain extent. 
Was there ever a time, a season when the awfulness of other people, the awfulness of the brokenness of other people and the church itself or, you know, the corruption of the Christian industry, that kind of thing, ever made you think like, you know what, I just don't know if I want to have anything to to do with this. It's not necessarily my own doubts about God or the Bible per se. It's just that the whole thing seems kind of broken down and I, I, I might be better off without it. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard not to be there. I think for anyone who's been a part of the Christian faith, at least in the West, um, for any, any number of time has probably lived long enough to, to hurt somebody or especially to be hurt by somebody. And uh, in specifically in Christian circles. And so I, th- I think any of those, uh, I have experienced that. And I think that all of those are areas of, uh, or opportunities maybe for collecting our thoughts and really, you know, asking ourselves, are we, do we, so is Jesus still worth following? You know, <laughs> like I, I just got burned, you know, or I just was hurt or I just had this really, um, bad experience or uh, I felt really uh, used, abused, misunderstood, you know, cast aside, looked over, passed by, whatever, whatever the, the storyline might be. And I think those are the times where it brings th- that those are probably the easiest times to deconstruct, I would guess, because it's it's become personal. It's not, you know, like Jesus, it's hard for us to feel like Jesus offended us until someone who claims to follow Jesus offends us. And then it's like, I think Jesus offended me, you know? Um, and, and, but those are the times where I think for me, it's been, those have been kind of like the, the quote unquote, come to Jesus moments where it's like, do I really still want to stay in, you know, yeah. do I still want to commit myself Do I still surrender my life do I still pray? Do I still read the word? Do I still ask God to, to flow through me? And, you know, and, and, and through each of those times, the answer has been yes, but I can, I can understand and I can relate with people who come up with the answer of no, uh, because they just, you know, the, the pain was, was too severe or, or they need more time to heal. And it's not, it's, they needed more time away, uh, so to speak. But, yeah, I remember the you know the last thing I wanted to tell you is I I don't know if I've actually ever told you this, but there was a time when you and I were having a conversation. Um, it was years ago, and you were at the time a part of a, a church that was theologically pretty different from where you were in your mm-hmm. you know journey with the Holy Spirit and everything. And you were telling me about an experience you had where you felt like a cue from the spirit. And I think you had like given everybody like a prophetic word on the, on a team or something like that. And, um, because they, these people weren't in the same place as you, there was, um, I think a gentle rebuke where they had said like, well, you know, Chad, this is not really the time and place for that. And you felt in the, in the moment, like a, a, a deep sense of frustration and insult. And I remember you saying that you felt like in that moment, you were like, you know, Paul said, do not quench the spirit. And I had this thing and they just like trampled it. Um, but then you had regrouped and, and, and prayerfully, you had, were telling me that you had repented. And you're like, I was being arrogant and I wasn't being respectful of, of them. And, and yeah, maybe that wasn't the best response from them either, but God has me in this community right now. And, 
And I remember being deeply inspired by that demonstration of faithfulness in the face of like a lame situation. Um, mm. Has that been something that has kind of like, uh, you know, that, that kind of regroup and stay in the room kind of thing? That's part of your journey? Yeah, yeah. I think that, that that is a way that God's wired me to not, maybe it's also how and why I'm, I'm able to, to be a part of something like Furnace Fest that is not, it's not uh, overtly or excessively Christian in the way that maybe um, other things that I've done or been a part of are, but uh, it, there's always been this side of me that loves the, um, the other, like the, the, the flip side of the coin, you know, like the, uh, the, the people that would say maybe it's the devil's playing the devil's advocate or take just taking a different stance. Um, I think that God has given me grace oftentimes to maybe navigate, um, those differences in a way that, that they are not off putting to the point where I just leave or I'm offended or, but I mean, yeah, there are other times that, that it is, like, oh man, I've just, you know, really felt strongly that we were supposed to do this thing or that thing. And, but, um, but I think it's, it's a body for a reason, you know, and that's, that's what makes the Christian faith so unique and so special is that we all, everybody receives gifts. Everyone receives talents. Everyone receives, um, from God and everyone gets to participate and to be a part uh, you know, of, uh, of what he's doing regardless, you know, of where we're at. So yeah, man. So I'm, so I, I, I'm still here and, uh, and I'm still, uh, really honored and really thrilled for how God's working in my life in your life and our lives. And, um, I'm praying that he uses your book and this recording and different, you know, different things that maybe, maybe to us, we think like these are, these are going to be natural ways that God will inspire our friends back to him. And maybe they'll connect with people we never would have ever dreamed of, you know, them connecting with, but whatever, whatever happens that God continues to use us um, in ways that would surprise, especially us. Death to Deconstruction is out now wherever you prefer to buy books, audiobooks, or digital books. If you haven't already, tell someone about the book or maybe even buy a copy for someone you think might like to read it. Leave the book a good review on Amazon.com. Leave the Death to Deconstruction podcast a good review on the Apple Podcast app. Leaving good reviews is fast, it's free, it's easy, and both go a long way in helping people find the book. And then you can follow my social media accounts for updates on the book, future writing, speaking engagements, and whatever comes next.